Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Deconstructed. I'm Ryan Grimm. Last Wednesday, the University of Massachusetts released the findings of an extraordinarily unusual investigation. The school had decided to probe the dating life of one Alex Morse, a former adjunct at the college who, as a candidate for Congress, had been accused of inappropriate behavior by the local college Democrats who, it turned out, were largely supportive of his opponent, the powerful Ways and Means Chair Richie Neal, one of the more outspoken foes of Medicare for All in the Democratic caucus. Upon closer examination, there were no actual allegations leveled by the college Democrats who had instead leaked a vague letter barring him from future events for unspecified wrongdoing. As the days and weeks went on, not a single specific allegation surfaced from anywhere or from anyone, despite the university offering the public a hotline to call with any damning information about Morse. Yet despite not having an allegation to investigate, the school hired a law firm to investigate anyway. The report concluded that Morse had violated no school policies. Now, Morse was elected mayor of Holyoke at the age of 21. Holyoke is about 30 minutes away from UMass Amherst, a school that has around 30,000 students. That's nearly the size of Holyoke. Morse, for several semesters while in his 20s, taught a single course on government that met once a week. The school bars relationships between teachers and students in entirely reasonable policy. It does not bar an adjunct from dating every single one of the 30,000 graduate or undergraduate adults at the university. The report confirmed our earlier reporting that the Massachusetts Democratic Party was involved in writing and publicizing the College Democrats' letter, which the party had denied at the time. But the report also found that Morse did nothing wrong, yet the school still published intimate details of his dating life anyway. The whole thing smacked of retrograde homophobia, a homophobic investigation into a homophobic smear. Morse is considering legal action. But that wasn't the only development in the case last Wednesday. That evening, Cambridge City Democrats met to debate a resolution put forward by one of its local wards, which wanted the Cambridge City Democrats to condemn the state party for, quote, aiding and abetting an attack on an LGBTQ candidate and call for the resignation of Gus Bickford, the party's statewide boss. The debate, which included nearly 100 club members, is a fascinating window into the contemporary Democratic Party, which is at once rightfully proud of its willingness to denounce racism and bigotry, fly gay pride flags or put up Black Lives Matter lawn signs, yet continues to prop up and participate in projects that perpetuate and exacerbate racism and bigotry. It may never have been on starker display than during that three-hour meeting in Cambridge, and we have breathtaking audio of it for you. Dan Totten is vice chair of the ward that put forward the resolution, and he joins us now on Deconstructed. Dan Totten, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So can you set, set the stage for us. How did this Wednesday meeting come about? So uh, this was a regular monthly meeting of our Cambridge Democrats city committee, right, which is the local chapter of the Democratic Party here in Cambridge. And 
the business at this meeting was a resolution brought forward uh, by Ward 3, which is uh, Central Square area, which is where I live. Okay, so now we come to uh, the business of the evening, which is we need to consider the resolution that was proposed by Ward 3. So my ward brought forward this resolution, which called on Gus Bickford to resign as chair of the of the state's party over his role in the Alex Morse scandal of last summer. And it also declared no confidence in his leadership. We therefore no longer have confidence in Gus Bickford as the current chair of the Massachusetts Democratic Party. And we call upon Gus Bickford to resign and a new election to be held. People came to the meeting to discuss and debate that resolution. And, you know, we had 100 people there. So a lot of people were were sort of interested in, we had already passed this out of our ward, meaning, you know, our ward committee had discussed the resolution and passed it onto the full committee, right? So we had already had our discussion and that was going to the full committee. And there was language in it that said something along the lines of that, the, the party had aided and abetted a, a homophobic smear. What was that language and what, what was the point that you were trying to make with that? You know, there's a lot that can be said about what happened last summer. But when you really, really look at the careful reporting that was done after the fact, as well as the reporting that was done in the moment, including by The Intercept, you just see this pattern of a clear interference in this election in a way that, you know, a lot of people perceive to be homophobic. And, you know, that starts at the beginning where we know that Gus Bickford got a meal with Alex Morse and tried to talk him out of running mm-hmm. for, for that seat and tried to suggest a different... Later denied having doing so. Exactly. Having done so. Exactly. And tried to suggest a different seat to have run in. And then, you know, we know that when some college students approached the party with some, you know, very vague allegations and asked for help and, and sort of asked, you know, what, what should we do from here? You know, Gus Bickford did not give them the legal advice that they should have gotten. Instead, he sent them to the party's attorney, who they claim told them to leak the letter. So essentially, there's just a number of steps there that, you know, it's very clear that they were sort of, they had their hands all over this. Right. And so the party attorney was at this meeting last Wednesday. This is Jim Jim Roosevelt, a grandson of, of Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, I advised the college Democrats that they should have a verbal conversation uh, with, uh, with the mayor. They insisted on doing it in writing against my advice, as the Jake's report points out. There were no false allegations in the letter that was sent to him. His response was that the allegations were correct but that he did not intend to make anybody uncomfortable. What, what was your reaction when you, when you heard that argument from Roosevelt? It was deeply hurtful, what he said. It was almost like, you know, he, he thought we were in a courtroom, right? And he made this callous argument that sort of lacked empathy and denied the homophobia of the incident. It was just so offensive to me and other, you know, really a lot of people there, not just not just queer people who were, who were at the meeting, but really a lot of people there were just taken aback. Right. Yeah. The, his claim that the allegations are true is is a really rich one on, on a lot of, on a lot of different levels, uh, because you know what what does he mean by the allegations are true that he 
in that he had consensual relationships with other adults like that 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 seems to be what he's saying because nothing else has emerged you know since then that would qualify as a, as an allegation so w- was that your read that the allegation was that he was gay almost yeah i think um you know and and just just for the record there was a recently re- released report as well that sort of indicated alex so anything that has come out in the meantime mm-hmm. has has sort of been in alex's favor but I, I think it's a reasonable position for somebody to say, I'm uncomfortable with what happened, even though it wasn't in violation of university policy or Title IX or any other regulations. But to twist it in the way he did to say that he admitted to the allegations, that's where the homophobia comes in. Mm-hmm. The allegations were falsified. The allegations were were made up by somebody who was trying to make him look bad. and And it's further insulting that he would say he admitted to these because... Because as as the report shows, you know, Jim told the students to leak the letter. Now, he denies that. Mm -hmm. Sure. But, you know, when you have two different student reports corroborating, you know, they they told he told me to leak the letter. That's that to me that, you know, if we don't listen to those students in that moment, then when are we ever going to listen to students? Right. So the opponents of your resolution proposed an amended version that, that basically said, you know, we as Democrats are supportive of LGBTQ candidates. And we are opposed to kind of screwing, screwing them in, um, in primaries and, and that, and that we need to set up a process that kind of upholds the neutrality of the state party leadership. That's, am I right? That's roughly kind of the amendment that, uh, opponents of your resolution wanted to, wanted to have voted on. Yeah. So a couple things. So one, it was a it was a substitute amendment that that was not shown to anybody ahead of time. So it was a little surprising, and I think that's important for folks to know. You know that statement completely sidestepped the controversial issues and and sort of just you know oh here's this nice thing that we can all feel good about. Mm-hmm. The problem is when they did that, the discussion we never had a discussion about the issues at hand because they were able to turn all of a sudden. It became a discussion over which resolution we should pass and not the merits of our resolution. Right. And it just it just that in in taking out any reference to Gus Bickford or or the wrongdoing that happened, it sort of it's a, a quiet way of saying nothing wrong happened. And right. and so that's, you know, there should have been a debate over it and there should have been a vote. But to try to, you know, to try to insert this amendment at the beginning like that indicated to me that they didn't feel they could win that argument. Right. It basically seemed to me like they replaced your resolution with a pride flag and then and then put it up for a vote. And so I want to get to that vote. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's I think that what you said is is definitely, you know, it's a right. fair, fair analogy. So then they then they do a roll call and something startling happens. And there's this a, a response from a board member when you vote. Nancy Ryan, nay. sorry, Donald Summerfield. Nay. Donald Summerfield, nay. Dan Totten. Nay. Dan Totten, nay. You faggot. Megan Van Buskamp. What I thought I heard. What were you thinking in the moment when you heard that? So, you know, when you hear it, it's quick. And so my first reaction was, wait, what? Like, what? Did that happen? Did I hear that correctly? If nobody else had reacted, I probably would have 
second guess myself to the point where I would have wouldn't have said anything. A couple people in the Zoom chat also said what just happened, and you know somebody I think you know said it on the mm-hmm. on, on the recording as well. So yeah, you can hear that. The other thing I'd like to say is that many of us heard a homophobic slur against Dan Totten. Um, and I think that we are all stunned and feel that it should be called out immediately. Okay, well, I didn't hear it myself, but let me just say that if anybody made a homophobic slur against Dan Totten, Dan, we stand with you. And I think anybody that... At that point, that said that, so at that point, I grew confident in what I had heard and, you know, others clearly heard it too. Thank you. I would like to say something. Um, I think there's a difference between overt homophobia and um, systemic homophobia. And I think we're getting an excellent lesson in that tonight. But I just want to say that it, it was said, and we have a recording of this meeting, so there's no disputing it. And it was said by George Govern, um immediately after I voted. If I have to pull up the recording, I will. At this point in the meeting, I was so, I knew we were going to lose the vote by like five or six votes. And Jim had just said what he said. And I was so numbed. That was what he said. And, and losing this vote so closely was so, was so, so painful that I was, I was very much desensitized to, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if this word, if this homophobic slur had come during, you know, in a different context, I would have been much more taken aback. But here I was like, you know what, that's kind of the natural extension of the mm-hmm. argument that was just made. Mm-hmm. Later in the meeting, Dave Slaney made a version of, of that point. Let me play that here. I just want to make the observation that we can all, we should obviously, and we're all feeling very good now about condemning a, a, an explicit homophobic slur. But what happened tonight was that a parliamentary <laughs> ruse was used to prevent us from criticizing the state democratic committee for participating in and condoning systemic homophobia. And we shouldn't let our feeling good about responding to George George's inexcusable remark blind us to the fact that we had a chance to make a statement about homophobia and we refused to do it. And the chair was complicit in that by going along with a parliamentary ruse. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay. That's my opinion. I'm done. What, what, was, the, what was the reaction? 
uh, among the party members to Dave's point. Yeah, I think it's hard to gauge a reaction uh, to Dave's point hmm. uh, because there was so much chaos. But I wanted I want to be clear that I I really appreciate his willingness to speak up. I mean, you know, we you know, it's not easy as a rank and file member on a Zoom call with 100 people to stand up and be an ally like that. And I think a lot of people were were sort of thinking this kind of thing. And, you know, to have Dave, you know, kind of put himself out there and, and speak up was was really heartening. I think he said what a lot of people on the call were thinking. Um, and I also I think, you know, it's safe to say that it it, it, it has become clear that his message may not even be understood by everybody mm -hmm. in our committee. It's not clear to me that folks understand why what Jim said was homophobic. And somebody like Dave got it right away and, and spoke up. And I really appreciate that. But, um, you know, we need to uh, realize that, you know, the part of the reason why I wrote this letter and did this whole thing was because I didn't want us to, you know, this, this moment was sort of, this is a moment where, um, you know, because we're in Cambridge and we're all liberal, everybody had to stop because there was a word that was said that we've collectively decided is unacceptable. And that's, you know, heartening because even, you know, I'm told that even, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, that might not have been how it unfolded. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to use this moment, just like Dave said on the call, I wanted to use this moment to make people realize that it's not just about that word, but it's about the way that the conversation unfolded, the atmosphere that was allowed to the culture, the unwelcoming culture that was allowed to exist in the room. And, and so, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I was heartened uh, to hear Dave. And, and I think it's a message, Dave's message and my message is a message that we're going to spend a lot of a long time trying to make some of these uh, other members understand and trying to help some of these other members understand. So how quickly did you realize who it was? Or, or did you almost recognize the voice immediately? So I knew who it was immediately because the um, he didn't have a video on. And so his uh, Zoom was just his name. And when he spoke, the... It, mm -hmm. The name flashed on the screen, and so I knew right away who it was. Unfortunately, the recording does not, um, you know, does not uh, capture that. I don't really fully understand that, but it didn't capture that. But several other people also saw that, and so you know, again in the chat, it was like we knew who it, we know who it is, and um, you know, despite the recording not. Actually, uh, and just to be clear, I did not know this man at all going mm -hmm. into it. Um, I, I wouldn't have recognized his voice. You know, I knew nothing about him. He 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 did. Uh, it's important to note that he did um, immediately mail me a letter. And I I can definitely send you a copy of the letter mm -hmm. so you can read it. Was it an apology? Was it an explanation? What was the thrust of what he what he told you? So this letter is. It's an like the it's it's an attempt to apologize. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, he's an attorney and he knows he he recognizes the potential repercussions of of what happened and he knew he had to react. So this letter is very carefully worded and you know says a lot of the right things. But there are two things that are very strange about it. One is that he 
sort of makes this argument, of course, like a lot of people have argued, that it was a mistake because of Zoom, because he left his microphone, you know, off mute. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't accept that at all from anybody, you know, Zoom mistakes, we, we've got to learn how to do Zoom. But he argues, and I'll just read this quickly, he says, mm-hmm. it was not directed to you or at you or at anybody, but only a rude objection to the position you expressed and meant for no one's ears but my own. I have a habit of cursing my TV in the privacy of my home, which I've unfortunately carried over to Zoom. So the implication there, right, is that the incident wasn't a problem, except for the fact that everybody heard it. And in addition to that, he also effectively admits to potentially yelling other slurs at the screen when he was on mute. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my mind goes to other members of our committee, what what is what is he yelling at the screen when they talk? Right, that's right? not cursing exactly. Like that's not the word that I would use to describe exactly, that kind yeah. of an utterance. It would have been one thing if if he had if he had swore at the TV. I think we all swear at the TV from time right. to time, but but this is not a swear, and this this is this is hurtful and different. So then way. you end up losing a pretty narrow vote, as you had suspected, by six six votes or so, which shows a. a a deeply divided Democratic Party over this over this question. There were a lot of people that sided with you, and there was a kind of powerful moment uh, at at the end when it would play the the party treasurer um, has an announcement that he makes. I have an announcement. Hi. I was having trouble unmuting. Sorry. Okay. Um, okay. Phil, go ahead. So it seems clear to me that Cambridge Democrats are not welcoming to people like myself who are not regular heterosexual people. And so I am resigning as the treasurer as of now. Okay, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Bill. Say, what was was the reaction to that among the rest of the party members? Yeah, so I'll be honest with you, a lot of us had texted each other and just said, leave after we lost the vote because we were so taken aback by what had happened and um and 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 so frustrated that we just started texting each other just everybody just leave and when you say leave you mean leave the party or leave the meeting leave the zoom right leave the zoom so so we so so like our side had almost you know most of our side had had left the zoom and this was really the final minute and i had stayed because i was the one telling people to leave but I was really taken aback by Bill's resignation. Bill is somebody who has poured his heart and soul into the city committee. He is a longtime, you know, sort of volunteer on this front. He managed all the finances and put so much work into it. And, you know, Bill and I don't agree on everything, but for somebody like him to leave, mm-hmm. it, it really shows why it really shows that there's that there's a, a deeper problem here than just that one word because and and knowing what we know about George which I don't know if you're aware that George had in 2011 George filed a, a personal amicus brief in opposition to um, a case that would have that was trying to legalize marriage right and it's very hurtful very hurtful people right. are aware of this right so you know if it was if that had been the only it, 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 it's clear to me in that moment that this has been a burden for a lot of us who don't identify as straight or, or for anybody who identifies as, as different. And in that moment, that became clear. Right. And 
what I think people have to understand who aren't involved in this level of uh, kind of political activity is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it's not just a political organization. These, these clubs, the, the reason they call them clubs, you know, these clubs become social organizations as well. It's where you, it's where you meet people that you form lifelong friends with. You, you end up organizing some of your social life around, these, around this activity. And it and it gives gives meaning to to your life, and for somebody you know who's been that active, and who's made it such a part of their life, to quit isn't just they're not just making a political statement. They're they're sacrificing and they're giving up a big part of their their life as well. Is that a fair way of putting it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Bill is my neighbor. I can look out the window and and see his house and you know, we're all at the end of the day, we're all neighbors and and friends. And and yeah, this is a big part, especially, you know, um, sort of when we're not faced with a pandemic. I mean, this is like, you know, we get together at people's houses, we have backyard events, we, um, you know, we do We're this Mm -hmm. is there is a social component too. I want to be clear, though, that these are elected Mm -hmm. positions, right? And the voters of Cambridge elected these people back on the presidential primary day. Um, and they might not even realize, but um, George and uh, Jim are both members for who have been members for at least 20 years. And when you um, become when you have been a member of the party for 20 years in Massachusetts, you become what's called a lifetime member. And the bylaws, it's very hard to remove lifetime members. And so, you know, when we went when when leadership went to George and said, you know, you need to resign over this. Um, he, he said, he, mm-hmm. he basically said no, because I'm a lifetime member and the, and you know, I'm a lawyer and I've read it and you know, the bylaws don't have a provision for removing lifetime members. So, you know, we're sort of still figuring that out, but, um, but it just shows you, you know, that yes, it is, it is a social club. It is a neighbor club, you know, that like all, all of that is part of it. Um, perhaps too much. Uh, but, um, at the same time, because at the same time, uh, it's also, um, you know, it's, it's an elected position and there's so much, you know, I think the, the, the idea of it being like a neighbor, a neighborhood thing, social thing has upside, but it's, it's gone too far in that direction to the point where now it's almost like a fraternity and you've got, and I don't know, you know, how familiar you are with the city of Cambridge, but you know, the western half of Cambridge, sort of west of Harvard, is 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 very different from east of Harvard. And the vote aligned almost perfectly. Um, you know, the people who sat, Jim lives in in West Cambridge. And, you know, mo- a lot of the votes in opposition came from there. And almost all of the votes in support came from, you know, Central Square area where I live. So, you know, there's, there are economic, you know, class differences at play here. Right. Um, in, in, right. As and well. I'm sure in West Cambridge, you're going to also see pride flags all over the place. Oh, sure. As well. So, and lawn signs too. Right. Exactly. Have, have you had any success in getting through with the idea that the explicit bigotry that they heard and so rightfully condemned was an extension of the implicit bigotry that, that drove the rest of the agenda? Or do you think that that fell on deaf ears? You know, um, I think the jury is still out. I think, you know, because I only, I put my statement out. I, I called for, for both men to resign. 
um, about 48 hours ago. And so, you know, I think the jury's still out in terms of how folks will react to it. It's been, Mm -hmm. it's been quiet, right? I think people were, were eager to condemn the homophobic slur, the use of the homophobic slur. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. But I think it is going to be harder to get people to see that it's sort of part of a larger problem and that, you know, what Mr. Roosevelt said kind of created a space that, that kind of drew out, you know, this, this other guy, you know, the difference between Jim and George, right? Jim or George is like, Mm -hmm. George is like openly homophobic. He's not pretending to be accepting and that, you know, and so Jim's statement really created an atmosphere where, where that could exist and where he felt in his own way, sort of, you know, comfortable slurring at the, at the zoom and, you know, doing this and doing that. And I'm not expecting people to jump behind the call to remove both of them because Jim's a very powerful man, right? Mm -hmm. Jim Roosevelt calls the shots at every level of our party. He's calling the shots in this meeting right here. He calls the shots at the state, at the Massachusetts state committee. He's calling the shots in those meetings and he's chair of the rules committee at the DNC. And so he's very powerful. Mm -hmm. People are afraid of him and consider him untouchable. And so I don't expect folks to come out in support of that second piece. I I hope some people will, but you know, I'm not counting on it. Well, Dan, thanks for sharing your story anyway. Hopefully, hopefully it reaches somebody. Yeah, I really appreciate it and and appreciate the reporting that you guys have done. Um, There has been no justice on in this case for so long, and it's been so painful to so many of us. The last thing I want to say is that I spoke to somebody yesterday who I had recruited to come to our meeting. This is a um, sort of a disaffected, you know, Bernie supporter who was on the roll and so I knew could vote, but doesn't usually show up to our meetings. And so I called him up and I said, you know, will you come? I'm asking you to come. And, And he said, sure. And he actually resigned from the ward and city committees over what happened. He was so, so upset. And he did that before I had even Mm -hmm. had a chance to speak with him. Right. And so, you know, what kind of a message does it send? Is this really the party we want where, you know, I get told all the time as a progressive, as a leftist, as a socialist, as democratic socialist, that when I enter these spaces with my demands, I'm being disruptive and I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, working towards party unity. But what does it say when we um, when we bring in somebody new and they're so disillusioned by what they see that the next day they resign? Like, that's not that's not the kind of party we want. That's not the kind of party I want. Um, you know, a lot of uh, progressives like myself worked really hard to make sure that we don't that we didn't have four more years of Donald Trump uh, and we're not represented in leadership at any level uh, like like we are on the ground. Right. And, and it's time to change that. And, and the, the one thing I would say to people is if you're frustrated, a lot of people come to me and they say they're upset, they're frustrated, um, they want to do something join your local city committee, join your local ward committee. I mean, if you live in Cambridge, we've got a big vote next month. If you live anywhere, right, these things exist all over the country. And I, I, I would bet anything that you could show up to that, that and make a difference if you're young, if you're, you know, not white, if you're not straight, um, you're gonna, you're gonna show up to that space and you're going to realize how much work Mm -hmm. we have to do. 
work worth doing. Uh, and so much of this story is the Democratic Party and microcosm from start to finish. And you know, we'll, we'll continue following it, if, if, if only for that reason alone. Um, thanks for joining us and hope to have you back again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I reached out to George Government for his reaction, and he declined to do a recorded interview, but agreed to answer some questions. I asked if it was true he had reached out and apologized, and he told me, I have reached out, and as far as why I said it, I think it's pure stupidity, and that's about all I can say. I really didn't know I was on an open mic. I pointed out that that sounds like the only problem for him was that his mic was on, and that he talks like that often. He told me, I don't use that word except to myself and very rarely to myself. It was not meant to go out to the meeting. I mutter things to myself and that's one of them. One of the things I mutter to myself is communist. Because I'm an old guy and back when I was growing up, anything I disagreed with would have to be communist. So it's just a bad habit. Even when I agree with someone, I sometimes will say communist. It's a silly thing. I asked George if he planned to resign and he said that he was leaning in that direction. And later that evening, I learned that he had, in fact, resigned. I told him that people at the meeting felt that while his blurting out of a slur was the most explicit expression of homophobia, that the entire push against the resolution was as well. He declined to comment on that specifically, but I asked how he was impacted by the treasurer's resignation at the end of the meeting. I was very upset that Bill tendered his resignation, he told me. That was very disturbing, and of course I thought that I had precipitated it, and then apparently that wasn't necessarily the case. I later learned that he was upset about what you implied, a vote down of the original resolution. Now finally, I wanted to get Jim Roosevelt's take, to see if any of the fallout since last Wednesday's meeting had changed how he thought about the entire affair. Hey, Jim, it's Ryan. How you doing? Good, Ryan. Thanks. Good. Thanks for taking a couple minutes. No, I'll be quick because I, I know it's late. Um, I want to get your take on the meeting from last week. Is that all right? Sure. The main thing I'd like to get your reaction to was the idea that was put forward during the meeting by a number of people who said that, look, yes, it's, it's great that everybody condemned the explicit bigotry that came from George in that meeting. But what people needed to also recognize is that there was a softer, subtler kind of homophobia at work in not taking the opportunity to condemn what was behind the attack on Alex Morris. And I know that you've kind of rejected that idea in the past, and I, I wondered what your take on that was, given the kind of visceral nature of the meeting. Well, the meeting, you know, was a was a was uh, by the time we got to uh, the resolution, was a debate on whether to pass a resolution calling uh, expressing no confidence in the state party chair and calling for his resignation, or whether uh, instead to take a strong stand in favor of LGBTQ rights and participation in politics, but not get into repudiating mm-hmm. the state party chair who was just recently reelected. So that was the, you know, that that was what the discussion was about. Well, the key element of the first resolution seemed to be the line that said that the party was aiding and abetting an attack on an LGBTQ candidate. And that was the part that uh, the advocates of it wanted affirmation for. And I think that was the part that they felt like they didn't get affirmation for because it was substituted. 
do you think if they would have taken out Bickford, but put in language around aiding and abetting an attack on an LGBTQ candidate, it would have had a better chance? Uh, no, because I that, that didn't happen. Uh, you know, there was that full investigative report by former state senator, the first openly uh, lesbian state senator, uh, uh, Cheryl Jakes, which uh, found no uh, no homophobic intent. Although, uh, I mean, she didn't she didn't really make a ruling on intent, right? Um, the rules committee actually reviewed this about ten days ago, maybe two weeks. And uh, uh, and ruled that she did make a finding on intent. Yes. What do you make of so many people, and not just members of the LGBTQ community, who believe that this was homophobic? What was done to Alex Morris, at least? I think they're misinformed. I don't think they understand the facts of what happened. Now, I'm not saying that there was no homophobic motivation by any of the students. Uh, but I don't have any way of knowing that one way or the other. There's some pretty good evidence there was some careerist motivation on mm-hmm. part of some of the students. Mm-hmm. Whether there was any homophobic intent, really, there, I don't have any, any way to know. When, when it comes to uh, the, the George government uh, comments, did you hear that in, in real time? And I understand, he, he told me he's considering resigning from his position on the board. Do you know if that's going to happen or... He did resign earlier tonight. Okay. I did not hear it in real time. Uh, I must have been looking at my Robert Rules of Order or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but uh, a lot of people have told me they did, and then the, there's a tape available of it. Have you talked to Dan Totten uh, since then or any of the other people who were upset that night? The, the treasurer, I don't know if you're still at the meeting, but the treasurer at the very end, uh, resigned, you know, he's and he's been a very active member of the party for a very long time and felt that it wasn't a welcome place anymore. I did, um, uh, I was still on the, on the call. I was very disappointed that that happened. He's a great guy, he's done a great job, uh, and I'm hoping that he can be uh, persuaded. I think that was after the, uh, after what government said, uh, and, and clearly Bill was very upset about that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he can be persuaded to, uh, uh, reconsider that. You had said that Morris confessed or he had acknowledged that the allegations were, were true, but the only allegations that were ever really made were that Alex had had relationships with other adults, some of whom happened to be students at a university, you know, that was 30 minutes away from where he lived and where in the past he had taught a once a week adjunct course. You know, there's no policy against somebody in their twenties who teaches one course there, you know, dating people at that college. And so I, what I, people have thought, okay, the entire thrust of this is homophobic because it's judging these relationships in, in a well, way. I get, you know, I, I get the fit that I get that feeling on the part of, uh, Dan and, and, and even Alex, uh, in fact, it is absolutely true that the, I don't know if you've read the UMass investigation, mm-hmm. they found that, that for years students had been made uncomfortable by Alex's uh, activities, but that it did not violate university policy because he was careful to, that they were not in his classes, he didn't supervise them or hire them or anything like that. And, you know, if it was at Harvard or MIT, 
that would have been prohibited, but it was not prohibited at UMass. Uh, well, the, re- the, re- the report, interestingly, I, I did read it, and it's the, the witnesses, the students that they, they interviewed, uh, most of them said that they actually hadn't felt uncomfortable in their exchanges with Alex, but then after the rumor mill got going, uh, and they were told by other students that they ought to feel uncomfortable, that they said, okay, well, then maybe in hindsight, I, I do feel uncomfortable. Um, yeah, that's true. That's what I read as well. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. I read as well. Uh, and uh, the original letter that the students wrote, you know, didn't make any distinction between whether the, uh, whether uh, it was uh, men, women, straight men, straight women, whatever was involved. Uh, involved it was just the question of the power relationship and you had said you you helped them take out some defamatory or potentially defamatory elements of the of the letter is that right that's correct yes have you spoken with alex since all of this i have i have never spoken with alex never no (laughs) anything else that you want to share um the only thing that I would share is that, uh, uh, you know, to the extent that uh, Dan, uh, who I don't know, but my wife does, uh, uh, they've worked together on some city issues, uh, uh, Dan somehow thinks that I am homophobic, uh, uh, and all I can say is nothing could be further from the truth, and you can talk to many, many gay, lesbian, and queer individuals who will all tell you I've been great supporters of theirs. That was Jim Roosevelt, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.